Hey guys, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Church, and it's not lost on me in this moment that as we're gathered here worshiping um, so many of us in this place that there are um, hundreds of people that are also with us online. So we welcome our live stream audience, and just what's so amazing about that is that they are all over the country and, in fact, in different places in the world. And so I just want to take a moment. Jesus seemed really concerned with, especially at the end of his ministry, end of his life on earth, that uh, he was concerned with the unity of believers. And so I just want to take a moment before we get into the message to pray together the Lord's Prayer, a way of sharing in words, a way of sharing in Jesus, um, so that our breath might even kind of just like come, come together as we come and listen, listen for God's Word. So I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Some of you guys might not know this, but this... uh, pretty young gal that sits here at the keyboard every week is my wife. <laughs> I know, and those of you who didn't know that are like, what? That can't even possibly be true. It's true. The mar- this summer will be 22 years of marriage. 22. That's not bad. <laughs> Which means that um, as of a couple weeks ago, it's been 22 years since I proposed to Jenny. So those moments when you kind of, uh, they kind of like there are markers in our road when you hit those anniversaries. And part of the reason we have them, I think, and celebrate them is because it causes us to remember and like look back on, on things. So I've been thinking about our wedding day almost 22 years ago. And I remember on that day how much preparation we had done to get to that place. We had done it all. Like I, I, I did the proposal the right way and, um, and we, we bought the rings and Jenny bought a dress and we got the tux Texas reserved, and we got everybody flown into town, we met with the pastor, we reserved the church, everything was set up, and then we got to that day, Jenny got her hair done, she came in, we did the pictures, we, we got through the, the beautiful ceremony itself, we got through the over-emotional best man who was like crying on my shoulder the whole time, it was hard for him, poor guy. <laughs> we, we made it down the aisle, back down the aisle, we went outside, on the church lawn is where the reception took place, and a jazz band was playing out there. How's that? It was pretty, pretty great. And, and I remember it, just, it wasn't that much longer to when it got to the point that I had really, really been looking for, and it was the first dance with my new bride, you know? And I don't remember, a better man would remember what the band was playing. I don't, but I was just so swept up in the emotion and, uh, incredi- and incredibleness of the fact that she would marry me. And so I was just like holding on tight, and it seemed like, Five, maybe ten seconds into the dance, um, I got a tap on my shoulder. It's probably a little bit longer than that, but you know, the traditional thing, right? The father of the bride came over, tapped me on the shoulder, and cut in. He cut in on our dancing. I, we had just started dancing. We were just married. It was a hard, kind of difficult moment for me, but I, tried, I played it cool, and I did what you do traditionally. I went and danced with my mom, <laughs> and then I danced with Grandma Marie, and it was really sweet, and I'm so glad that I, that I have that moment and those memories, but in general, I don't like the cut-in. I've never really, never really come to terms with that. <laughs> it seems to be really common in life, and in, so much so, in fact, that it actually comes up in a book of the Bible called Galatians, uh, which is really a letter from a guy named Paul to some, some churches in a region in Turkey, 
uh, called Galatia. We've been in this letter for a few weeks now, and every week we've looked at this. It's, this is Paul talking to believers in this area, trying to, help them, trying to encourage them to see the freedom, to live into the freedom that they have in Jesus. And so we've asked them some questions along the way. The question for today is that from Paul, who cut in and kept you from the truth? Who cut in and kept you from the truth? Last week, Pastor Jacob ended his message with a, a, a verse of the Scripture, which is really kind of the pinnacle of this, this whole letter. It's kind of like the thesis statement. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So this is the truth from the question that Paul just asked. Who cut in and kept you from the truth? This is the truth he's talking about. The truth is that we were made for freedom. We are set free to live by Christ to live free. That's the truth. So I think like an underlying question to kind of get into this today is what keeps you from the truth? What in your life keeps you from the truth that you were made for freedom? Some people do this. I know like you kind of have like an inner, inner voice, inner dialogue with yourself. And, and what I want to know, if that's you, um, are you hearing right now that you are free or are you telling yourself that you're in bondage? What's the narrative for you? My hope is that as we walk through a few of these verses today, you'll be able to discern and begin to move into freedom. Now, Paul had this thing uh, he said over and over again in this book. He tells the people, you used to be slaves. Once you were slaves, he said. And, and I'm guessing that the original audience hears that the way some of us hear that today. What do you mean used to be in bondage? Like when you said to get up and sing, I had a hard time because I, I feel trapped by the burden of what I'm carrying in here today. Some of us feel that as we're in this place, like I feel chained to my seat and I can't even move. Some of you might be saying, I feel like I'm a slave to my schedule or I'm a slave to my boss or I'm, I'm a slave to sadness or a slave to an addiction in my life. And it's helpful to identify what it is that has you feeling that way that has you bound up today? Are you living like one who's in bondage instead of one who is free? Paul is talking to Jesus followers in Galatia who are enslaved by these old religious customs. That's, that's what they're dealing with. They have these things they used to do. They're wondering if they have to still do them in order to be children of God. And Paul wants them to have this freedom that they can have in Jesus Christ. And those customs are kind of preventing them from experiencing the full power of freedom in Jesus. I think that the church has done this ever since then as well. We'll come, come into moments where we'll be like, this thing has been holding us back from freedom. We have this old custom, this old thing, this old way that we don't even know why we're doing it anymore, and it holds us back from the freedom that we were designed for. So Paul was really frustrated with, with his audience because he loved them. He loved them so much, he wanted them to experience freedom. And so he says to them over and over again, like he says to us, we are free. You are free. Like, I know that may not be the narrative that you have in your head right now, but you are free. Paul wants them to, to hear this and, and to know this freedom. So he says it so emphatically, even though we don't feel it all the time. You're feeling bound up in something? Well, that's not the whole truth. Like, guess what? You are free, so stand firm and don't pick the burden back up that Jesus has let you free from. You, you might ask, why is this guy, Paul, so concerned with the freedom of other people? And the reason, the answer to that question is that 
he has experienced that freedom himself. You might have heard of this guy, Paul. He, he was one who was persecuting Christians. He was actually overseeing the murder of Christians, of Jesus' followers. He was that guy. And when he was in this season of his life, he was imprisoned by fear and rage and self-righteousness. But one encounter with the risen Jesus Christ, he had this encounter on a road, and it changed everything. It allowed him to see freedom like he never thought was possible. When you experience something that completely alters the course of your life for the better, you have to go for it. And that's what Paul is doing here. So Paul wants more than anything else for new followers of Jesus to claim their new life in him and not fall back into patterns of bondage. That's what Paul is focused on in this letter. So Paul has declared that we are no longer slaves to all of those things. What he would say is that our freedom is actually tied to that which we are bound, which sounds weird. Like there's some tension in that statement, right? There's freedom and bondage at the same time. And we say, well, if I'm free, then I shouldn't be bound to anything at all. When the fact is that we might should just be bound to something better. Paul's whole argument here is that we are bound to Jesus. And if you are bound to Jesus, you are on a course to freedom. It can be frustrating. You might have seen this, like somebody that you know is just right, right on the cusp of freedom, of a new life, or, you know, even just like a caged animal when, when, the, when their uh, cage is opened up, and they don't want to go. They don't want to walk into that freedom, and it, and it could be frustrating, and it was frustrating for Paul when people wouldn't walk into this freedom that was available to them. So he turns back to his own kind of brand of encouragement here. He says this, you were running a good race. Good job. But who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. You've experienced this, no, no doubt. You've probably like, been set off on a, on a course to you're going to live a better life. You're going to be, be good. You're going to be healthy. And then somebody walks in with that negative attitude or somebody walks in with that plate of food that you've been trying to avoid and just knocks you off course. You were doing so well, and now someone or something cuts in on you. Several things happen, I think, when, when someone cuts in on us. When, when someone cuts in on you, you can easily get distracted. The word that Paul uses here for cutting in is actually a, an old shipping term. It means to check, to change the course of a ship. I like this. Like there's this image of this big freighter, you know, just all that momentum in the water, like it couldn't possibly be, be stopped. But if one little thing came in its way, and it wouldn't look like it had changed direction, but just like one degree off course would change everything. Some of you might remember back in 2012, there was this uh, accident, shipping accident in the Mediterranean Sea off the coast of Italy called the Costa Concordia. It was the name of this, this cruise liner. And it ended up on some rocks off an island off the coast of, of Italy. It was carrying 4,000 people and I remember when it was on the news, it seemed like it was coming, like being revealed in slow motion because it was on these rocks. They knew it was in trouble, but it took forever for it to begin to sink and to finally sink. And 32 people died in that tragedy. In the days that followed, they were looking into it, of course, like what happened in this situation. They learned that it went well off course. I've got a map here, just a real simple map of the yellow line on this map is actually the course that that, that ship would have normally taken, just right in between these two parts of land. On the day that it capsized, it went over to this, towards this other island and stuck off to the side. If someone was to map 
your course recently, just even the last week or couple months, how would your map look? Would there be some moments when you got distracted? Mine would be all over the place. Well, that's when I completely lost track of where I was headed. Who cut in on me? So what happened to the coast of Concordia? Well, the working theory is that the captain of the ship wanted to go by that island to kind of show off the boat. Other people thought he had a friend on the boat with him that was from that island and wanted, to, wanted to, him to be able to see it. Or he had a girlfriend on the boat that he was trying to impress. We're not really sure, but whatever happened, the captain got distracted. And what is clear is that he lost focus on the direction that he was headed in. Sometimes when somebody cuts in on you, you forget where you're going. Some of us here today, we don't even actually know the direction that we're going in right now. Like we're like, what course am I even on? We're just kind of floating, just kind of drifting. So for us, in that situation, to get, off, to get knocked off course isn't really going to be all that noticeable. What's, what's one degree off course? Until years from now, you end up on the shore of some land that you never intended to see. That's where Paul's metaphor gets us. Jesus is the direction that we are headed in. My last name is Youngman, which starts with the letter Y. <laughs> you probably knew that. I grew up in an era of alphabetical elitism. I don't know if any of you were there with me. What I remember is from kindergarten to fifth grade, our classroom would line up for various activities throughout the day. I, I counted probably about eight times a day we would line up for lunch, gym, music class, recess, to go to the bus. Every time we lined up, the teacher would say, alphabetical order, and those words were like a dagger into my heart. <laughs> so sad for me as I just, young men, back at the end of the line, and there are not very many Zinkowitzes in the world, and so I was usually at the back of the line, until this one magical day, we had a substitute teacher. She announced that it was time to line up for gym class, and then she rearranged these words that I'd heard before, and she said, reverse alphabetical order, like the skies opened up for me. It was a new day for young men. I was like walking, kind of strutting past the line, walking past Miller, like, not today, buddy. <laughs> Get behind me, Armstrong, just, just for today. <laughs> oh, my goodness, it was a beautiful moment. And I remembered actually this verse from Jesus from Sunday school, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And I was like, I don't think that's how Jesus wanted me to use that, but it was there in my head. I had a taste of freedom from the tyranny of the English alphabet for just one day. And, and I noticed like I had an opportunity in that. When I was at the front of the line, never had this opportunity before, I had power. The line, the line was supposed to be going to gym class, but I could have been like, I'm gonna go outside. I, somebody might have followed me, I don't know, I didn't try it because I wasn't that kind of kid, but I had some power, <laughs> potential. But all good things come to an end, and so the next day the teacher came back and just put everything back in order. <laughs> back to the status quo, things were as I guess they were meant to be, and I was resigned to being back at the back of the line once again. Now, one year, there was this kid in my class, a poor soul named Zelensky or something like that, and he lined up behind me, and so I had a, like a reprieve for most of the year until one day, he decided to just like rearrange the whole English alphabet and step in front of me. Why, young man, <laughs> comes before Z, right? Zelensky, 
and he stood right in front of me. I stared at the back of his head and was like, Zelensky, don't you know how this is supposed to work? <laughs> but then I looked at him, and he was next to last, and I was last, and what, what's the difference? We're not, neither one of us are actually leading anything. <laughs> Sometimes when somebody cuts in on you, you just want to give up. Now, Paul says, it, right before this question that he's asking us, he says, you've been running a good race. You've been doing a good job. You've been training. You've been headed in, in the right direction. Once I was running in a literal race um, here in the area, and it was a beautiful day like today, and there is such a thing as a runner's high. Um, like the endorphins get going. You kind of enter into this euphoria. You're running along, and you're just like, ah, I feel great. And uh, you're not feeling the pain that you should be feeling and will later be feeling when the race is over. It's like this natural high that's just, oh, I was feeling that anyway. I was like halfway through the race. And then all of a sudden, I heard these really loud footsteps come up behind me. It was like the guy was wearing concrete shoes, just like plodding along behind me so loud. And it was totally distracting me. And so, so I kind of tried to move over to the side and let him pass. But he didn't want to pass. He just wanted to be right behind me. And so I tried to speed up and get some other people in between us. He would always end up right behind me, and he, like, consumed the rest of the race for me. I eventually finished the race, but by the time I did, it was kind of like it was his race, really. You know, I had kind of given up. It belonged to this guy because I was so focused on him that essentially I ended up following him instead of my own goal. Do you ever do that? Are there times in life where you get so focused on the distraction that it consumes you and becomes your new pursuit. Sometimes when somebody or something steps in front of you and cuts in, you end up chasing them instead of the thing that you were supposed to be chasing all along. The reason that Paul keeps shouting at us about freedom, you are free, you are free, is because he wants us to know what it looks like when Jesus is the one who cuts in. Now, in all truth, when, uh, when Jesus cuts in, I mean, he can be just as distracting as anyone else, more so oftentimes, because Jesus can dominate our vision, can dominate our hearts and our destination, and that's the best kind of disruption that we can have. In fact, Jesus said some words that I think Paul probably heard or read somewhere along the line because it really reflects, uh, is reflected in Galatians. This is from John chapter 8. Jesus said to a group of his own followers, he said to them, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone, which is not true. <laughs> they had forgotten. <laughs> they had actually, the descendants of Abraham had been enslaved in Egypt for generations. They totally forgot about that season of life and said, we've never been slaves. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus came to set us free. It's the story of the entire Bible, moving from slavery to freedom. It's why it's such a prominent theme in what Jesus teaches. It's why it's such a prominent theme for Paul now, in this case, when Jesus was talking, sin can be defined as anything that, that binds you up. In this case, I just, I just want you to hear a, a real simple message, I think, that, that is bubbling out of this. Don't let someone cut in on the truth set before you by Jesus. 
One more time. Don't let someone else cut in on the truth that is set before you by Jesus. If anyone is going to cut in on you, let it be Jesus. (laughs) He's the only one. Because when Jesus cuts in, here's what happens. You begin to have focus. Like You begin to see the vision. You begin to see the things of this world for what they are. They're not as powerful as you thought they were. You, You thought you were all bound up in these things of the world. They're actually weaker than they appear. And and fear itself becomes just fear and not a permanent barrier to freedom anymore. When Jesus cuts in, you can know where you're headed. You're you're headed to a kingdom of, of peace, where peace reigns. And you're headed to the eternal presence of God in heaven, which we talk about often, but also here on earth, because we just prayed that in the Lord's Prayer. God, bring it to earth like it is in heaven so what that means is we don't just have to wait for it here. We don't just have to wait for, for heaven, but that we know that God is bringing it here. When Jesus cuts in, we get to experience the future, even now. When Jesus cuts in, we have an opportunity to hold on to him instead of the things we would most likely hold on to otherwise. This, this last week, I was gathered together with a few young pastors who are going through the process of becoming fully ordained pastors and um, we, it's quite a process for them, and they've been going through years and years of training and, and all of that. Well, next week, they have interviews before a group of people who are going to ask them all these questions about, like, theology and the history of the church and, and, and the practice of the church and all these deep, deep questions. And so what I wanted them to remember was when you're answering those questions, uh, you've been well-educated, but don't hold on to just the theological terminology that you know that you have in your head. And don't hold on to even, like, uh, past hurts and grief that you're carrying with you. When you're in that moment being asked these important questions about who God is, cling to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. So I gave them this little cross from our, our care ministry here at Providence Church that fits right in the palm of your hand as a reminder to hold on to Jesus. When Jesus cuts in, you can hold on to him. When Jesus cuts in, Instead of chasing the distraction, you can chase him. Now, most of the time when we we hear about uh, Jesus, it's him doing the one that's chasing us. Like when we go over to the island that we're not supposed to go to, and he chases us down. He comes after us when we make diversions in the path. He chases us down. But here the news is that when Jesus chases us down and catches us finally, he says, follow me. I've been chasing you, now you chase me. A couple of verses later in Galatians, Paul, Paul wrote, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. What does he mean? He means I'm confident that as you are approaching your enemy, as you're approaching every moment of your life, as you're looking at poverty, as you're, as you're looking at, at hunger and modern-day slavery and all these issues that God has given us at Providence a passion about, when you look at those things, you will be able to pronounce into them the freedom in Jesus Christ. Those things no longer reign. So let me ask you, who is cutting in on you? Is it a a family member? Is it some guy in third grade named Zelensky? (laughs) Is it your own insecurity? Again, Paul says, he's hammering at home, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You were called to have a free life. You don't have to hold on to these, these things that are just making you feel like you're drowning, but you're called to freedom. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you'll hear an idea, like a concept even, like freedom itself, and you want to hold on to that thing. 
we hold on to ideas a lot, and sometimes we keep them as ideas so that we can argue about them and not let them impact our lives. It's why we have 24-hour news, you know, so that we can have ideas that we argue about, and we do it really well. But when it's, when it's something that we are called to live out, like the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, then it costs us something. Paul said in verse 25, Since this is the kind of life we have chosen the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. If your experience is anything like mine, you'll feel like freedom when you come to church. <laughs> you'll feel freedom when you have like these moments, these moments that are just like scheduled into your life. What Paul was saying is, this is going to impact every detail of our lives, every conversation that we have, every decision that we make. Every detail of our life is going to be, lives are going to be framed by the freedom that we have in Jesus. I love the concept of freedom, but I'm ready to start living it out. How about you? What does it mean for you to live like a free person? Just like take a minute to picture it. If I was living every moment of my life out of the freedom that I'm offered in Jesus Christ, what would be different? What would look different? The things that once held you in bondage don't stand a chance today. Even if those things seem to be hanging around, their power is gone as long as we're standing in the love of God that we know through Jesus Christ and the freedom that he extends to us. So don't let anyone cut in on you. Don't let anyone cut in on your pursuit of what is true and what is true is that you were made for freedom. Your fear doesn't stand a chance of keeping you away from that freedom. Your shame doesn't stand a chance of keeping you away from that freedom. That's the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I just want to invite you today to let Jesus cut in. Like right now in this moment, let Jesus cut in through whatever bondage you're feeling right now. And then tomorrow when, you, when it creeps back in, let Jesus cut in again. And over and over again, every single day of your life, let Jesus cut in to your life. Let's pray. Jesus, cut into our lives. Cut through the brokenness. Cut through the, the bondage, the things that are holding us back from the life that you desire for us. We can barely even picture it, God, what it would look like to be fully free in Christ. But you give us a glimpse. You keep us moving forward. God, we want to know your big dreams for our lives. We want to know where we are headed in you. We want to hold on to you and pursue you above anything else. We want to live in freedom so that we can walk across the room and embrace the person we used to avoid. We want to walk across the street to know our neighbor. We want to call the family member we haven't talked to in forever. We want to fly across the world to go if that's where you send us. We want to let go of pride and be in relationship with our spouse, our coworker, or our friend. We want to let go of pride and shame so that we can be in relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for providing us with this freedom. You Jesus are the ultimate sign that we have that God desires to break through 
to break through all of the things that have been built up in our lives and even in our religion. You are the sign that God wants to break through so that we can know him. So God, we approach this this table that is set before us. It has bread and it has juice. For us, it's a sign of the life that you call us to. A life that is not limited. A life that is not held back by fear and shame. But you welcome us to come. Maybe we come trembling, but you invite us to come and to receive bread and juice, a sign of the presence of Christ. A symbol of of freedom that we are called to. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be present with us in these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood.